Well, Mr. But Chairman, it's not true. with all due respect, I get sick and tired of the richest regular order, Mr. Chairman. Getting richer and regular richer order. Order. Regular order. Regular order. Regular order. Things are going well in the U.S. Senate. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, And all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, another day, another dither, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Uh, uh, Boy, we got a lot to get to today. See how much we actually succeed in getting to. Uh, But as we finished up uh, our previous program, some 210,000 gallons of dirty tar sands oil had spilled from the pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota. It could not come at a worse moment, I think, for officials in Nebraska. They are set to vote on Monday on whether to approve the permits for the even larger, even dirtier Keystone XL pipeline that was rejected by President Obama but approved by Donald Trump to send even more dirty tar sands oil from uh, from uh, Canada down to the Gulf of Mexico to ship overseas. But Desi Doyen, you have discovered that the Nebraska Public Service Commission, is that who this is? Yes, it is. Uh, they are voting to approve uh, or not this uh, new route through Nebraska for Keystone XL. And they aren't allowed to consider this spill that just happened in South Dakota in their decision-making process? That is absolutely right. Now, just to be clear, in South Dakota, the spill on Thursday is on the original Keystone pipeline. Right. Now, the one in Nebraska is the Keystone XL pipeline, the extension, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Both transport very dirty tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada. Remember, tar sands oil is like peanut butter. And it has to be diluted in order to make it pass. Not these as delicious per se <laughs> as peanut butter, but as the the thickness, the uh, tarry, yeah, the viscosity, gooey, as the, it would oh, be viscosity. called. Well done. And it makes it extremely difficult to keep it, to clean up at all. So right. just keep that in mind. Yeah. So now uh, the Nebraska Public Service Commission is because, set- by the way, there was a, this was two hundred ten thousand gallons. 
there was another leak on the uh, Keystone Pipeline that was about oh yeah ten thousand gallons, but that took. Even though it was only ten or sixteen thousand, sixteen thousand, just under seventeen. It still 000. took two months to clean up. M- majority of it took two months to clean up, which means there's even more that took even longer to clean up. Yeah. Now this is the largest oil spill on the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota to date. It is the third pipeline spill in South Dakota this year so far. Um, but again, let's go back over to Nebraska, where the Public Service Commission mm-hmm. is going to be voting on Monday. They are not allowed by law to consider pipeline safety or leaks and that's according to the nebraska state public service commission spokeswoman deb collins she said this on friday it's because of the law that was passed by the nebraska state legislature back in 2011 the nebraska right after the initial keystone pipeline was uh was built in 2010 right and had started operations and the public ranchers farmers and native american tribes have been opposed to the keystone pipeline and the keystone XL pipeline, both of them, since they were originally proposed. So the Nebraska state legislature said, oh, okay, we're going to pass a law and we're going to put the authority for pipeline permitting in the hands of the Public Service Commission. So the state's Republican majority at the time uh, adopted a measure that was supported, not surprisingly, by the oil industry. What? And that oil industry uh, provision says uh, that the, the, the way that they argued at the time was that pipeline safety is a federal responsibility. Therefore, it preempts any state laws. So so the state should not look at, oh, other incidents of problems, spills, disasters, because it's not your responsibility. Leave that to the feds. The feds are going to take care of that. Yeah, so they explicitly barred commissioners. That would be now uh, Donald Trump, Scott Pruitt at the EPA. Those are the feds who are going to be concerned, very concerned about the... (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, so they're explicitly barred from considering environmental questions like pipeline safety or the risk of spills. They can only focus narrowly on whether the pipeline is in the public interest. And that can be based only on testimony and evidence that was presented to the commission during public hearings. And, of course, this summer when there was commission hearings, Mm -hmm. they um, struck all oral testimony and written testimony that had anything to do with the risk of spills from the pipeline. They, exci- they excised that they information. They deleted it from the uh, from all of the uh, the evidence. You so, may not hear about spilling pipelines. Yes, exactly. In considering so, whether we want a pipeline in our state. Exactly. Okay. So one of the things that this highlights, of course, is something you often say, elections have consequences. Your state legislature makes these rules that your public commissions are then bound by. So if you weren't paying attention in Nebraska in 2011 when these people were put into office, well, I'm sorry. The uh, the, Now you're going to pay the price for it. And it's interesting that, uh, well, we'll see what those, uh, what they do in Nebraska. But just a reminder, Nebraska lawmakers, uh, which were essentially majority Republican, had rejected the original route for the Keystone XL pipeline through Nebraska some right. years ago, right? Back when Fox News and Donald Trump were pretending that uh, Barack Obama was holding it up, it was actually because in Nebraska they had uh, they had voted against 
that uh, initial right. route for because that the initial route crossed yeah. over in a really ecologically sensitive area that sits right above the Ogallala Aquifer. That's the main water source for ranchers mm-hmm. and farmers across the Midwest. And because tar sands are difficult to clean up, and the water table is so close to the surface of this sandy soiled area, you have a huge problem on your hands if you have a pipeline spill. What could possibly go wrong? Don't tell me because by law, Desi Doyen, you are barred from telling me <laughs> any more about spill. For, for pipelines. All right. We will keep our, our keep our eye on that uh, and, and see what they decide to do at this point in Nebraska. And as they struggle to uh, clean things up in South Dakota, I know that the uh, the Native American tribes there had been protesting against exactly what has happened now on the uh, Keystone Pipeline. Oh, yeah. David Flute. He's the tribal chairman for the Sisseton Wapatan Sioux Tribe. Their reservation is near the location of this spill in South Dakota. He released a statement on Friday and he said, yes, we opposed the original Keystone Pipeline because the groundwater table is so close to the surface and all of the subsurface waters are interconnected. All the groundwater yeah. is interconnected to the streams and other groundwater but, that they get their water supply from. But, you know, don't pay attention. Never pay attention to uh, people who issue these warnings in advance. Wait until afterwards. Wait until disaster strikes. Uh, don't listen to you uh, lefties like Desi Doyen and the uh, tree <laughs> hugger American Native Americans. They don't water. know what they're talking about. Similarly, don't listen to any of these Democrats who are telling you that this uh, the, 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 that these tax cuts that are being put through by the Republicans that are being rammed through. The Democrats did not participate in writing at all. They kept them out of it. Now they're being rammed through. Uh, don't don't listen to those people who say that it's actually going to raise taxes on the very people who they Republicans are claiming it will lower their taxes. Don't listen to them. This is all for good. This is all for the better. This is going to increase jobs. This is going to increase wages. And if you don't believe me, uh, just listen to the folks at this Wall Street Journal uh, sponsored forum uh, a couple of days ago where uh, Gary Cohn the chief White House economic advisor uh, was was the uh, featured speaker there, and it was a bunch of wealthy corporate CEOs. And Cohn was essentially making the argument, as Republicans have been doing, that CEOs, benevolent as they are, will increase hiring. You know, there'll be uh, more jobs. They'll raise people's wages. They'll invest more in the company itself to grow their own companies. If only they receive this huge tor- corporate tax cut that Republicans have been promising them. So the moderator at this Wall Street Journal forum uh, event then turned to the audience uh, of CEOs, remember, and asked them for a show of hands for how many planned to raise investments in their own companies after these huge, massive tax cuts for corporations are put through. Can I ask you all a quick question? If the tax reform bill goes through, do you plan to increase investment, uh, uh, your company's investment, capital investment? Just a show of hands, the tax reform goes through. Okay. Why, why, why aren't the other hands up? <laughs> right. That was Gary Cohen saying, why aren't the other hands up? There was a smattering at oh, best say of raised maybe, hands. Maybe two or three. Right. Exactly. So even the CEO is saying, yeah, no, we're, we're just going to pocket that, buy new yachts, we're, raise wages. Why would we do that? 
Despite that uh, lackluster reception from corporate CEOs at that forum, uh, the GOP tax cuts were passed by the Republicans in the U.S. House on Thursday and then very, very late at night on Thursday. They were also adopted on a party line vote in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. Senate Finance Committee. That was late Thursday night, but not before. So now it's going to head straight to the uh, to the U.S. Senate floor. And then it's a done deal. But uh, it didn't pass out of that Senate Finance Committee uh, before this angry exchange between Ohio's Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown and Utah's Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. He's also the chair of the Senate Finance Committee. A little bit of background here. Uh, Sherrod Brown had been arguing for the Wyden Amendment, Ron Wyden of Oregon, um, which would reverse these corporate tax cuts that the Republicans are about to put in place if, in fact, they did not bring the promised increase in wages that Republicans are currently using to justify uh, these uh, permanent corporate tax cuts that are getting put in place. Okay, so the Wyden Amendment means that if the tax cuts for the corporations don't create new jobs, right. then this would be triggered and then they would be. Don't repealed. create new jobs. Don't raise the wages as okay. they are as the Republicans are claiming. Uh, that's the way they're justifying these permanent corporate tax cuts. Now, mind you, that's opposed to the tax cuts uh, for individuals, for low and middle income earners, uh, which will actually this whole bill will result in a tax increase for them. Because those tax cuts, any tax cuts that those folks might get, those expire. The corporate ones stay in place. Forever. Uh, Forever, right. Uh, Unless, of course, the Wyden Amendment was allowed to go through, which would then, you know, roll back those corporate tax cuts in the event that the Republicans turn out to have been lying. So uh, there's also a a reference in this exchange that I want to play because it was kind of amazing Um, There's a reference to the uh, to chip in this interview. That's the Children's Health Care Insurance Program, uh, which recently expired. And Republicans so far have failed to renew this health care for children. Uh, millions uh, in health care for millions of children is about to run out of money completely, the CHIP program, unless the GOP takes action, which they haven't. So that's just a, a part of this. But listen to this remarkable exchange where things are just going very, very well in the U.S. Senate. I just think it would be nice just tonight before we go home to just acknowledge, well, this tax cut really is not for the middle class, it's for the rich. And that whole thing about higher wages, well, it's a good selling point. But we know companies don't just give away higher wages. They just don't give away higher wages just because they have more money. Corporations are sitting on a lot of money now. They're sitting on a lot of profits now. I don't see wages going up. So just spare us the spare us the bank shots, spare us the, let's, let's the sarcasm hold. and the let's satire. Hold. and I'm going to spare it, let's but hold. I'm going to just say to you that uh, I come from the poor people. And I've been here working my whole stinking career for people who don't have a chance. It's ordinary. And I really resent anybody saying that I'm just doing this for the rich. Give me a break. I think you guys overplay that all the time and it gets old. And well, frankly, you ought, to, you ought to quit it. Mr. Chairman, the public well, believes it. Just, I'm not through. Okay. I get kind of sick and tired of it. Uh, true, it's a nice political play. Well, Mr. But Chairman, it's not true. with all due respect, I get sick and tired of the richest people Regular in the country. Regular order, Mr. Uh, Chairman. Getting richer and richer. Regular order. 
We do a tax cut. Regular order. Middle class treatment. Regular order. And over and over again. How many times do we do this before we learn this? Listen, I've honored you by allowing you to spout off here. And what you said was not right. That's all I'm saying. I come from the lower middle class originally. Originally. We didn't have anything. So don't spew that stuff on me. I get a little tired of that crap. And let me just say something. If you didn't, if we worked together, we could pull this country out of every, every mess it's in. And we could do a lot of the things that you're talking about, too. And I think I've got a reputation of having worked together let's, with Democrats. Let's start with Chip. I'm not starting with Chip. I did it. I've done it for years. I've got more bills. Start with Chip today. I've got more bills passed than everybody on this committee put together. And they've been passed for the benefit of people in this country. Just not the kids. Now, all I can say is I like you personally very much, but I'm telling you, this bull crap that you guys throw out here really gets old after a while. To do it right at the end of this was just not right. Oh, it's just not right. To bring up the fact that these uh, tax cuts for the wealthy do not do what Republicans claim year after year after year that they do. And we know that they don't because we saw it with Reagan. We saw it with George W. Bush. We saw it with. Yeah, it's it's the same thing they do every single they time. Do. Every single time they demand tax cuts, they explode the deficit. Then they demand cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, everything that helps a middle class or a lower income person survive in this uh, economy. And and then Democrats come in and they say, well, no, you can't do that. You're exploding the deficit. There's all of a sudden they're worried about debt and deficit. This would add uh, this bill, if it goes through, would add one and a half trillion dollars to the uh, to the national debt over the next 10 years. So uh, that was uh, kind of an exciting moment there before Republicans went ahead and on a party line vote adopted this uh, massive $1.5 trillion tax cut for wealthy people out of the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, and now it heads to the floor. Now, Congressman um, uh, Ted Deutsch gave a, a pretty decent summary of some of the most troubling aspects of the GOP tax cut bill uh, with these permanent tax cuts for corporations and these temporary tax cuts for individuals that will result in eventual increases in taxes and the immediate loss of services, by the way, for the low and middle income earners, uh, along with important tax deductions that are also being removed that also get scrapped for those folks in the bargain. Uh, this was after the House approved the bill. Deutsch put out this statement. This Republican tax scam is a massive giveaway to multi-billionaires and big corporations paid for by tax increases for 36 million working-class and low-income Americans. It is far removed from the reality of hundreds of millions of Americans. Why don't we ask the nearly one million Florida households? He's, he's from Florida, so he's focusing on Florida here. Why don't we ask the nearly one million Florida households if they are willing to pay more in their taxes so that large corporations can evade paying taxes on billions of offshore dollars? Republicans drafted this bill behind closed doors without any input from Democrats, which is interesting when you hear Orrin Hatch say, if we only work together, we could solve all the problems in this. Well, he's right. They could solve the problems. Most of them had their causing. Uh, but uh, they they did this bill without any input from Democrats. So it's a little hard to hear Orrin Hatch say, oh, if we only work together here. Uh 
Anyway, back to Deutsch here. Uh, they worked without any input from Democrats, showing how far they'll go to please special interest lobbyists rather than working on real bipartisan reform of our nation's tax code. He goes on to say, aren't Republicans worried about what shrinking the mortgage interest deduction will do for the millions of prospective home buyers in Florida? In other words, people who might buy houses knowing that they could deduct the interest on those loans from their taxes, that is being taken out in this bill. So if you were counting on that, that's going to be at least uh, reduced as far as how much you can deduct from your taxes when you buy a house. He says, what does this bill say to the nine million Americans who save thousands of dollars with the medical expense deduction to cover exorbitantly high medical costs? That's also being removed in this Republican bill. Are Senate Republicans really proposing to kick 13 million Americans off of their health care insurance just to give an additional hundred thousand dollars to the top 0.1 percent of earners? Deutsch asks, well, apparently, yes, they are. Because 13 million Americans, according to the uh, nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, will lose their health care if the uh, Republicans, the Senate Republicans, put through this uh, this uh, reversal of the uh, health care mandate. How will over 600,000 student loan borrowers in Florida and millions more elsewhere across the country dig out from their debt when the Republicans have cut the student loan interest deduction? How does that help them? How does that help uh, young people? They can no longer deduct uh, the interest on student loans under this Republican bill. He says, what about the nearly 200,000 Florida teachers who will lose, on average, $257 deduction to help pay for classroom supplies out of their own pockets? So if these teachers who don't have enough uh, school supplies go out and buy them on their own for their students, it used to be they could deduct up to $250 from their taxes to cover those costs. Republicans are taking away that deduction as well. How about those seniors whose access to health care will be threatened by this bill's $25 billion cut to Medicare? Yes, that happens in this tax cut bill as well. It happens immediately. In short, he says this plan will give huge tax breaks to those who don't need it, the wealthiest Americans and large multinational corporations at the expense of those who desperately need it. Remember, there was a a Leonardo da Vinci painting that sold this week for four hundred and fifty million dollars. Someone had four hundred and fifty million dollars sitting around, sitting around to spend on a on a one single painting. Those are the people who apparently desperately need these massive tax cuts that the Republicans are trying to jam through. Uh, And as far as uh, Americans getting it, as far as Americans understanding it, apparently they do. American voters disapprove 52 to 25 percent, 52 to 25 against the Republican tax plan, according to a brand new Quinnipiac poll just out, I think, on Thursday. Uh, They find that the wealthy would uh, mainly benefit from this tax plan, according to 61 percent of American voters. The American voters are getting this. American voters say 59 to 33 that the Republican tax plan favors the rich at the expense of the middle class. Only 36 percent of voters believe the tax cut plan will lead to an increase in jobs and economic growth. 
So the American people seem to be, for the most part, getting this. This is wildly unpopular, and yet, just like the health care bill, which was also wildly unpopular, Republicans are trying to jam this through any way that they can. Um, so, yeah. Oh, well, got- I just, just wanted to point out that, the, that there's no tax deduction for teachers buying supplies, but apparently there is a tax deduction that's still included for your private jet. For pri- I know, private maintenance, if you have a private plane, oh, yeah. that's included. Oh, but, you know, we can't it, afford money for no, current Medicare no. recipients. That's got to go. That's right. So, uh, oh, hey, call your senators, just like you did with the uh, with the health care bill. You can call them at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. Let them know what you think. Uh, this is going to move very, very quickly now, uh, particularly with Republicans now worried about losing their Senate seat in Alabama to a Democrat very shortly uh, and making their margin uh, to pass this kind of stuff even smaller. And now uh, that looks more and more like a possibility that they are going to lose that seat in Alabama. Very quickly here, before we get to a break, uh, we had uh, cited uh, on our previous show internal Republican polling from the National Republican Senator uh, Senatorial Committee that was obtained by Politico that found that Judge Roy Moore's chances in the upcoming U.S. Senate special election in Alabama have been tanking. Since uh, just a bevy of women now have come forward to say that he assaulted them or made unwanted advances when they were teenagers and when he was a 30-something district attorney in Alabama, the internal polling from the NRSC uh, apparently showed more down against his Democratic challenger, Doug Jones, by some 12 points. That's after he was up just last month by 16 points with that same internal polling. Well, now we have the first public polling on the race since these allegations came to light. And this one is, uh, you can ignore it because it's from that liberal lefty Fox News channel who is uh, putting out this uh, new (laughs) polling. They find Democrat Doug Jones has an eight-point lead over the embattled Republican Roy Moore in the Alabama special Senate election. Fox News poll conducted Monday through Wednesday of this past week shows Jones leading more among likely Alabama voters, 50 percent to 42 percent. Fox News poll is the first public uh, survey conducted since the uh, since the initial four women leveled the first allegations against Moore. I believe we are now up to nine women so far who have come forward to allege that Moore physically assaulted them or made unwanted uh, sexual uh, advances in many cases when they were just teenagers. Uh, Moore has denied the allegations of abuse. He said that he did not generally date women in their teens. But uh, Jones, the Democrat, leads more now in the Fox News poll uh, despite the state's Republican lean uh, and so this is uh, among uh, it's it, the advantage that he's getting here is largely from Democrats, young voters and women among voters under 45. Jones, the Democrat, has a 31 point lead among voters younger than 45. Go young voters. Well, get out and vote, young voters. Moore uh, has only a slight edge with the voters who are older than 45, just uh, about a four point edge. So it's uh, people who are 45 and younger making the different one of the differences here. Moore, 
the Republican leads Jones among male voters, however, 53 to 41 percent. Uh, but women are stepping up. Of course, uh, the Democrat has the advantage there. 58 to 32, a huge advantage among women. Go women. Moore has, uh, however, and this is where uh, it could, uh, this, well, depending on how women and young people come out to vote, uh, Moore has a 19-point lead among white voters overall. What's the matter with white people? Hmm. Uh, well, here's one thing that's the matter with them. Among white voters who identify as evangelical Christians, Moore leads 73 to 20%. My goodness. That's a 53 lead among those who identify among the white voters who identify as evangelical Christians, because we all know that Christianity apparently is very, very supportive of child molestation. Apparently, that's just what Jesus asked for. Incredible. Uh, By the way, uh, Brett Banditelli was quoted on the Twitters by Rock the Vote uh, yesterday, noting that uh, he said, I ordered a copy of my birth certificate in July. I got it today. So he says, if you are planning on registering voters in states that suppress the vote and may require birth certificates, start registering now, not in 2018. Whether it's too late to get the ID you need to vote in Alabama on December 12th, that uh, remains to be seen. But uh, you know what? Uh, let's let's all do this in advance now. Let's be prepared before we get to the uh, 2018 primaries and everything else. Uh, get out there. Get the ID you need. Figure out what is needed in your state to vote. Help your family and friends do it as well. Yep. And uh, spread the word. Everything changes in this country if people show up and vote starting on December 12th in Alabama. All right, quick break, and we're back with much more Bradcast today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Slip sliding away, slip sliding away. Yep, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well-chosen music there for this uh, story, Desi Doyen. All right, in in many places around the country, uh, as we've seen over the past few months, the resistance is holding. We saw that a week or so ago in the off-year elections where there were huge gains for Democrats up and down the ballot in states and cities all over the country, where Republican seats and offices were were flipped to Democratic uh, seats 
Democratic candidates, many of them first-time candidates, stepping up. We saw it in the opposition uh, to the repeal and replace scheme for the Affordable Care Act, for Obamacare. We have seen it in, in courts where Trump's executive orders on uh, the Muslim travel ban, the transgender service in the military, and other attempts to roll back at least some, if not all, of the uh, regulations that the Trump administration has been trying to do. Um, so, you know, people are stepping up. People are trying to do their part. Um, but one place where there really is little or no leverage for resistance anymore at all is in the confirmation process in the U.S. Senate, particularly of Trump nominees, um, most disturbingly for federal judicial uh, lifetime appointments, lifetime appointments to the federal bench. Well, on Thursday, one of the last ways for Democrats to block some of these judicial nominees with Republicans now in control of the Senate committees like the Judiciary Committee. Uh, one of the last ways, one of the last things the Democrats had to at least slow down or stop some of these far, far right wing nominees to the federal bench who will serve for life and who will affect all of these things, all of these challenges that are bringing brought, uh, bringing brought into uh, into courtrooms. One of those, the last things, has now been all but stripped away by the uh, judiciary chair, the House. Uh, I'm sorry, the Senate Judiciary Chair. Uh, the chairman of that committee is Chuck Grassley of Iowa. Well, Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Chuck Grassley is now burning. What's called the blue slip process, the blue slip for judicial nominees. The Iowa Republican announced on Thursday that he is going to go ahead with a confirmation hearing for a nominee to the powerful federal appellate court. Despite objections of a Democrat who had been blocking the nomination for months with a blue slip, the move will likely escalate the judicial wars in the Senate, Politico reports. Uh, Grassley said in his floor speech that the Democrats seriously regret that they abolished the filibuster as I warned them they would. But they can't expect to use the blue slip courtesy in its place. That's not what the blue slip is meant for, Grassley said. The blue slip asks whether a senator approves or disapproves of a nominee from their own home state. And if they don't turn in the blue slip then it has been the courtesy for about 100 years to not consider that judge until that home state senator turns in the blue slip to the House Judiciary Committee. But now Grassley appears to be doing away with that. The blue slip process, Politico notes, is a century-old Senate tradition that says that the Judiciary Committee does not hold a confirmation hearing for potential judges without approval from both of the candidate's home state senators. Uh, it is also one of the Democrats' last major leverage points over Trump's judicial nominees after Democrats voted to kill the filibuster for non-Supreme Court judicial nominations four years ago. The Republicans then abolished the uh, filibuster, the 60-vote threshold, even for Supreme Court picks earlier, uh, earlier this year in order to push through 
Neil Gorsuch after holding up Barack Obama's uh, Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland, for the last year. And let's be clear that when the Democrats uh, ended the judicial filibuster four years ago, it was because the Republicans were blocking every single one of Obama's judicial nominees. Well, Democrats pointed out that Grassley as uh, chairman, that's not the only hypocrisy. Grassley as chairman during the final two years of Obama's presidency declined to hold hearings for nine of Obama's judicial picks because of that same blue slip policy. So when he was in charge of the same committee under a Democratic president, yeah, he didn't let these people go through. Uh, In that case, four were to the appellate courts, five were district court nominees. California Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, who is the top Democrat on that committee, said that uh, Chairman Grassley's decision to do away with a 100-year-old Senate tradition just 10 months just 10 months into the Trump administration couldn't be more troubling. She said the lengths to which Republicans are going to jam extremely conservative and controversial nominees through the Senate is unprecedented. The uh, move uh, infuriated uh, liberal advocacy groups who uh, focus on the judiciary. The executive vice president of People for the American Way said that senators from both parties have used the blue slip process to demand meaningful consultation when it comes to choosing nominees for their own states. And Republicans used blue slips for years to block Obama's nominees for the flimsiest of reasons. Marge Baker said, simply put, this was a test of Charles Grassley's moral character. He failed, she said. Well, uh, he did uh, fail in that regard. And now there is very little to stop uh, just anybody who the uh, who these right wingers decide they want to put on. I mean, and I mean anybody and not just white people. And they are, by the way, as uh, the AP has found uh, just a few days ago, published a study. They are uh, the Trump administration is appointing white men as judges at an alarming rate. As a matter of fact, it's a rate that has not been seen in nearly 30 years. They reported and it threatens to reverse a slow transformation towards a judiciary that reflects the nation's diversity. Remember, when these people are appointed, they have lifetime appointments. So far, AP finds 91 percent of Trump's nominees are white, 81 percent are male, according to an AP analysis. Three of every four are white men with few African-Americans or Hispanics in the mix. The last president to nominate a similarly homogenous group was George H.W. George H.W. Bush. The shift, they write, could prove to be one of Trump's most enduring legacies. These are lifetime appointments, and Trump has inherited both an unusually high number of vacancies. Because they weren't filled during the Obama administration. Exactly, because Republicans were blocking it. And that's not for lack of trying. And he's also facing an aging population of judges. So that puts him in a position to significantly reshape the courts that decide thousands of civil rights, environmental criminal justice and other disputes across the country. The White House has been upfront about its plans to quickly fill these seats with so-called conservatives and has made clear that judicial philosophy tops any concern about shrinking racial or gender diversity. They really don't care. Uh, and so while the resistance uh, has been holding uh, at the uh, at the ballot box and in uh, some cases, in many cases in the courts, that could 
that could be changing and it could be changing very quickly. And the Republicans simply do not care. They don't care not only whether they're white and male, they don't even care whether they tell the truth. They don't care about their backgrounds. One of President Trump's most controversial judicial nominees did not disclose on publicly available congressional documents that he is married to a senior lawyer in the White House counsel's office. And yet he was approved this past week by the uh, by the Senate Judiciary Committee. The nominee, Brett Talley, has been awaiting Senate confirmation uh, vote uh, on the on the Senate floor. That could come as early as Monday to become a federal district judge, by the way, in Alabama. It all goes back to Alabama. It turns out he is married to a woman by the name of Ann Donaldson, and she is the chief of staff to the White House counsel, Don McGahn. So she's not just a White House lawyer. Uh, he's he's married to the chief of staff to the White House counsel who oversees Trump's judicial nominations like his own. And he did not bother to disclose that on his forms. Talley was asked on his publicly released Senate questionnaire to identify specifically to identify family members and others who are, quote, likely to present potential conflicts of interest. And he did not bother to mention his wife. Now, district judge uh, judges, as the New York Times notes, often provide the very first ruling when laws are called into questions, decisions that could put those judges at odds with the White House and its lawyers. Last month, for example, judges in Hawaii and Maryland temporarily blocked Trump's travel ban. So uh, it's, it would be a clear conflict of interest that one would think should be discussed. But it wasn't, apparently, because he didn't bother to disclose it. Democrats have also strongly criticized the nomination of Talley, who is 36 years old. He has never tried a case. And he received a, uh, a very rare not qualified rating from the American Bar Association. And yet his nomination advanced through Chuck Grassley's Senate Judiciary Committee on a party line vote, every Republican there voted for him, despite the fact that he has no background as a judge. He has never tried a case. Uh, and he is deemed not qualified by the ABA. Tally, who graduated from Harvard Law School just in 2007, uh, he's a deputy assistant AG at the uh, Justice Department. Uh, he is the fourth judicial nominee under uh, Trump to receive a not qualified rating from the American Bar Association. And he is the second one to receive the rating unanimously from the APA. Since 1989, the group has unanimously rated only two other judicial nominees as not qualified. And so far under Trump, four of them uh, not qualified two unanimously. But uh, that's not the only reason to be concerned about Tally. Not that any of this seems to bother the Trump administration or Senate Republicans. We now have learned that investigative journalists have uncovered uh, online message board persona for this guy um, in which he defended uh, the, quote, first KKK. Oh, dear. Yes, I saw you jump there when I mentioned that. Test. Wow. Yes. Uh, BuzzFeed first identified uh, this uh, handle belonging to Tally. Guy, he goes b by 
uh, Bamain, Boston, uh, which apparently Tally used for years to post about politics to a sports message board at the University of Alabama. Among other things, he called Roe v. Wade um, the, uh, the, and, and Miranda rights. He called both of those indefensible, quote, indefensible, indefensible. Miranda rights, reading someone their rights when they are arrested, indefensible. The right to choose what a woman does with her body, indefensible. And he said that the solution to the Sandy Hook massacre would be for, quote, our society of pansies to man up. So I guess it was uh, those uh, pansies, those four and five year old pansies in kindergarten who if they had only manned up at Sandy Hook, we wouldn't have had that massacre. And remember, this guy has just been approved by the Senate Judiciary Committee for a lifetime appointment to the federal bench. Tally failed to disclose this account, this uh, anonymous account or this uh, pseudonymous account uh, on his Senate questionnaire, which is itself a problem. But perhaps worse than all of that is that Tally posted as Bamain Boston, uh, a defense of the original KKK leader, Nathan Bedford Forrest. This was discovered by Slate yesterday. Tally said, heaven forbid we let the facts get in the way of, our, of your righteous indignation. But Nathan Bedford Forrest, when he de- decommissioned his men after the Civil War, told them to make peace with the men that they had fought and live as good citizens of the U.S. It was only after the perceived depredations of the Union Army during Reconstruction that Forrest joined adding, it is highly unlikely that he founded or acted as the Grand Wizard as he joined the first KKK, which was entirely different than the KKK of the early 19th century. When the Klan turned to racial violence, Forrest distanced himself from the organization. Now, Matthew Chapman over at ShareBlue writes that most of that is false. He says Forrest committed brutal war crimes against black soldiers, and he, in fact, is broadly agreed to have been the first Grand Wizard of the Klan, during which the group practiced widespread white supremacist terrorism against freed slaves and the, quote, radical Republicans at the time. Chapman says uh, for Talley to either lie about or not know this should be instantly disqualifying as a federal judge. But the fact that he did not even bother to disclose any of this is uh, even more troubling. Uh, Chapman says if Senate Republicans could claim ignorance before due to tally omitting information on his questionnaire, they certainly cannot now. And this uh, his nomination is still uh, must go before the full Senate. And any Republican who had enough scruples not to give a rubber stamp to a KKK sympathizer should speak out now, says Chapman, before he is given life tenure over our nation's laws. Remember, he's only 36 years old. He could be on that bench for 50 years. But uh, evidence suggests uh, that uh, this sort of nominee uh, and these sort of problems with Donald Trump nominees, remember, he only hires the very best people, (laughs) except for all of those who have been fired in the, what, 10 months that he's been in office that have had been pushed out for various embarrassing reasons. Uh, But evidence suggests that this might not be a bug, but rather a feature for some of Trump's employees. Uh, The Reverend Jamie Johnson the director of the Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships at the Department of Homeland Security, 
resigned on Thursday night after a CNN report revealed racially disparaging remarks that he has made on uh, on past talk radio appearances. Back going back uh, for, to 2008, 2008 to 2016. I mean, does does the does the administration tr- vet no none of these people before they actually hire them? Do they actually go back and check anybody before they nominate them for these roles? I mean, that question may answer itself. Um, you know, or or do they maybe just not have any problem with this stuff? I don't know. Acting DHS press secretary Tyler Holton confirmed. Uh, that the uh, secretary of the DHS, the acting secretary of the DHS, accepted Johnson's resignation and condemned his past remarks after a CNN K-File report on Thursday revealed that Johnson had made comments disparaging African-Americans and Muslims during several talk radio appearances prior to his uh, April appointment. On one show, for example, Johnson blamed black Americans for turning, quote, major cities into slums. Because of laziness, drug use, and sexual promiscuity, unquote. On another show, he told uh, listeners that Islam is not a religion of peace. All that re- uh, all that Islam has ever given us is oil and dead bodies. Over the last millennia and a half, how long is a millennium? Uh, a, a millennium is a thousand, thousand years. years. So over the past fifteen hundred years, all that Islam has ever given us is oil and dead bodies. Johnson has apologized for those comments, and there were many, many more uh, that uh, CNN uh, found and and posted yesterday. Uh, There were many more. He has apologized for the comments. He says that the remarks do not reflect his current views after (laughs) meeting people from different faiths. Remember, he's a reverend. He's, He's already a religious guy. And he was appointed to the Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships at DHS. Community outreach. But Right. But he had apparently never met uh, the black people or Muslims uh, before this, I guess. He says, I now see things much differently. Well, he'll have plenty of time to see things much differently now that he has been um, forced to resign. And good for them for pushing him out. Uh, we got another uh, 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 troubling other uh, nomina- uh, nominations here, but some uh, maybe some uh, one hopeful point, at least on one of them. I'll tell you what, Des, we're running late here, so let me take a quick break. We'll come back with those after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to your broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com trying to catch up with uh, a whole bunch of stuff over this uh, over this past week, uh, specifically a bunch of nominations uh, that have been uh, getting pushed through the Senate. Uh, with with very little notice with everything else that is going on. All right. Uh, earlier this week, Donald Trump 
unveiled his pick to run the Department of Health and Human Services. This would replace, well, would fill the vacancy left behind by Tom Price, who was pushed out um, from the Health and Human Services for uh, taking too many private plane trips, I think, uh, to put it shortly. Um, That has uh, been vacant since he resigned last September. Uh, the nominee is a guy by the name of Alex Azar, a former executive at the pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly and Company. He worked with HHS under President George W. Bush, so the revolving door continues to revolve. From George W. Bush, the guy goes into working for this giant, for Big Pharma, this giant pharmaceutical company, and now he is back in. Uh, or to put it in Trump pan knees, uh, the the swamp continues to be filled and filled and refilled, not drained, no matter what he has uh, fooled all of you Donald Trump voters into believing. So uh, we'll see. There'll be a a nomination process for that, a confirmation process for that, of course, in the U.S. Senate. We'll see how that goes with a pharmaceutical exec at the head of HHS, which oversees things like the Affordable Care Act, Medicare, Medicaid, all of that stuff. Uh, The Senate also this past week narrowly approved Trump's selection of a retired coal company executive to oversee, wait for it, U.S. mining safety. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. David David Zatazalo. I sorry, David, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. David Zatazalo was confirmed by a 52 to 46 vote. So that was 52. They have 52 Republicans in the Senate. That's how it was. Full party line vote. Uh, he retired in 2014 as chair of Rhino Resources. Uh, a coal company cited for repeated safety violations. So he was the chair of a company that was repeatedly cited for safety violations, and now he's going to be in charge of U.S. mine safety. A miner died at a rhino mine as recently as 2011 in West Virginia. While he was CEO. Right. Zadazalo said at his confirmation hearing last month that safety would be his top priority. Of course it will. I would hope it would be his top priority. His job is to oversee mine safety. So uh, even Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Coal op- country, yep, West Virginia. He opposed Zatazalo's confirmation, saying he was not convinced that he was suited to oversee the federal agency that implements and enforces mine safety laws and standards. Manchin said too many families in our state have lost loved ones serving our nation in the mines, and we are too familiar with the painful human toll of mining accidents. Since the beginning of 2017, 14 miners have died in the U.S., including seven West Virginians, Manchin said. I hadn't realized we'd lost 14 miners this year alone. Yeah. Good thing they weren't killed by terrorists. Then we'd have to do something about it. Uh, Well, Manchin said that these devastating losses demonstrate the ongoing need for strong and experienced leadership at the Mine Safety and Health Administration, otherwise known as MSHA. But instead, they're getting Zatazalo. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican, supported the nomination, also from coal country, Kentucky, saying that as a former miner and mining executive, Zatazalo, quote, has a keen understanding of the challenges and risks sometimes associated with mining. 
Sometimes. That's what that's what he said. Uh, as Assistant Secretary for Mine Safety and Health, Zadazelo will be responsible for reducing workplace accidents and promoting safe and healthy workplaces for miners. But hey, uh, before we let you go today, maybe there is hope. Maybe something is shifting among Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Maybe. North Carolina's two Republican senators said that they oppose Trump's pick to oversee chemical safety at the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. This now puts Michael Dorsen's nomination at serious risk. Senators Richard Burr and Tom Tillis issued statements saying they will vote against Dorsen to serve as the head of the EPA's Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention. We have talked about Dorsen on the show in the past. Democrats vehemently oppose uh, oppose Dorsen. He is a toxicologist with very, very close ties to the chemical industry meaning he's been hired and paid tens of thousands of dollars by them. To downplay the impact of chemicals on children. Correct. Uh, His past corporate clients include Dow Chemical, Coke Industries, Chevron. His research has been underwritten by trade and lobbying groups representing the makers of plastics, pesticides, processed foods, and cigarettes. And he always finds some way to defend these companies and uh, their harmful uh, chemicals. He's now going to be, if he is nominated, he would now be in charge of no, chemical safety. No, he is safety. nominated if he is I'm sorry, if through, he is yes. confirmed, right. And now that confirmation is uh, is in jeopardy. Just one more Republican says no to Dorson and he is out. One of the reasons that uh, these North Carolina senators are against Dorson uh, is because uh, Marine veterans and their families blame decades old contamination of wells at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, which was uh, contaminated with solvents and dry cleaning chemicals. Uh, and they blame that for infant deaths and serious health, serious health problems that include uh, cancer and much more. Court records show that Dorson and his work often called uh, that Dorson has often been called on for his work when his corporate clients are seeking to fend off lawsuits. For example, DuPont was accused of polluting a West Virginia town with perfluorooctanoic acid, PFOA, a chemical that uh, the company's own internal tests had long ago included were to- uh, concluded were toxic. But corporate officials discussed hiring Dorson to defend themselves. Dorson led a team that found that PFOA levels up to 150 parts per billion were safe. That is higher than the level found by the company itself, which found one part per billion this is DuPont, found one part per billion was not safe. Dorson said, oh, 150 parts would be safe. The EPA, by the way, now says that only 70 parts per trillion of PFOA are acceptable, or that would be, in other words, 0.05% of what Dorson's team said was safe. He would now be in charge of chemical safety at that same Environmental Protection Agency. Unbelievable, uh, but maybe that's some good news. Two Republicans are against it, one more, and Dorson is out. We'll see. Call your senators, 202-224-3121. All right, until we meet again, Desi Doyen, my thanks. 
uh, our producer. And my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Find us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate the, uh, to help us stay on your public airwaves to continue to do what we try to do every day. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.